0: Chapter Twenty Two of the Wonderful Adventures of Fra the Phoenician, by Edwin Lester Arnold. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. He who has not left something sad behind him and rewoke in the sunshine to feel the golden elixir of health and happiness moving in his veins anew may take it that he has at least one pleasure yet unspent. I open my eyes the next morning in as sweet a frame of contentment as any one could wish for they had put me to sleep in a chamber in that same wing of the rearward buildings where slept elizabeth and her father thus when i roused the yellow sun was pouring in at my lattice rich with sweet country scents and the april air was swaying the white curtains hung by dainty female hands across the diamond panes with youth and sweetness in every breath i lay and basked in it and lazily wondered what all this changing fortune might mean where had i got to who was i i turned about and stared upon the smooth white walls of the little room patterned and tinselled with the dancing sunshine from outside then gazed at the great carved columns of my four-post bedstead then to the head where in a wide wooden field were blazoned old Faulkner's arms and cognizance i turned to all the chairs dusted so clean and set back true and straight to the ewer and the basin full of limpid water from the well that caught the morning shine and threw a dancing constellation of speckled light upon the ceiling i wondered even at the bare floor scrubbed until there was no spot upon it and the snowy furniture of my couch and those downy pillows upon which i presently sank back in luxurious indolence was i indeed that rude rough captain of a grizzled cohort with sinews of steel and frame, impervious to the soft touch of pleasure, who only yesterday had burst through all the glittering phalanxes of France, and cut away with that arm that lay supine upon the coverlet, right down through the thickets of their spears, to where the white fleur-de-lis flashed in their midmost shelter. Could I be that same wanderer, who, down the devious ways of chance, had tried a thousand ventures, and slept in palaces and ditches, and drank from the same cup with kings and the same trough with outlaws i laughed and stretched and presently gave over speculating and rose i washed and dressed and went to the lattice and looked forth it was as sweet a morning as you could wish for the tepid sunshine spread over everything fleecy clouds were floating overhead upon the softest of winds the sweet new varnished leaves were glittering in the dew upon every bush the small birds singing far and near the kine lowing as they went to grass and the distant cock crowed proudly from his vantage point among the straw and everything seemed fair fresh and happy in that budding season i had not been luxuriating in the sweet leisure many minutes when by below came mistress bess with cheeks like roses and kerchief whiter than snow and brown unstranded hair that lifted on the breeze a very fair vision indeed that maid tripped across the grass and down the cobblestones rattling the shiny milk-pan she was carrying until she caught sight of me and stopped below my window then saucy she began how looks the world from there sir a little too young and chilly for your tenderness get back a bed it will presently be june and then no doubt more nicely suited to your valour's mind nay but lady i explained i was enjoying the morning air and just coming to seek you that were a thousand pities she laughed the sun has not yet been up more than some poor hour or two and the world is not yet nicely warmed you might have a chill and that were much to be deplored besides a silken suit is rarely needed where work has to be done back to thy nest apprentice, back to thy nest and i'll send old margery to tuck thee snugly up and the young girl, laughing like a brook in springtime, went on and left me there discomfited. Nevertheless I went down and took the plain but wholesome breakfast that they offered me, and afterwards whiled away an hour or so upon the bench in wondering silently what all this meant, where it was drifting to, how it would end, whether it were, indeed, ending or beginning, and then came round the girl again, and— railing me on my melancholy took me out to see the herds and fields and was all the time so sweetly insolent after her nature and yet so velvet soft that i was fairly glamoured by her this maid with the quick woman tongue that was so pointed and could at need hurt so much and the blue speaking eyes that were as tender and straightforward as her speech was full of covert thorns led me out into the orchards first she took me to where the milk was stored a roomy open shed smelling of cool cleanliness with white benches down the sides and red flagged floor and great open pans of crimson were full of frothy milk outside the low straw eaves the swallows were chattering while the emerald meadows through the farther doorway glistened and gleamed in the bright spring sunshine here we discovered two country girls at work making curds and cheese and butter ruddy buxom damsels, with strong round arms bare to the shoulder, with rattling clogs upon their feet, white gowns tucked up, and kerchiefs on their heads. These curtsied as we entered, and rattled the pans about, and sent the strong streams of warm new milk gushing from pail to pan. And then presently, when I had watched a time their busy labour, nothing would suit Mistress Faulkner, but I should try.' that saucy laughing girl would have it so and glancing at the delighted milkmaids dragged me to a churn there bidding me to roll a sleeve to my elbow and take the long handle thus and thus and put my strength into it and show i could do something to earn a luncheon and i ever strong and willing did her bidding and rolled back my silk and lawn and bared the thews that had made me dreadful and victorious in a thousand combats "'and seized that white straight rod. "'But, hoth, "'twas not my trade. "'I had more strength than art, "'and the first stroke "'that I made upon the curdling stuff "'within the white fluid "'leapt in a glittering fountain "'to the roof above "'and drenched the screaming maidens. "'The second stroke "'from my stalwart shoulders "'started two iron hoops "'binding the strong ash ribs "'of that churn, "'and made it swirl upon the tiles.' while at the third mighty fall the rammer was shivered to the grasp and the milk escaped and went in twenty meandering rivulets across the floor at this uprose those fair confederates and drove me forth with boisterous anger saying i had wasted more value in good milk than most likely all my life so far had earned while they put right my amiss i sat upon a mossy wall and wiped dry my hose and doublet nor was there long to sit before out came my comely hostess with forgiveness in her smiling eyes did i now see she queried how presumptuous it was to meddle with such things as were beyond one's capacity to which i answered that i truly saw and did i crave forgiveness would i make amends and to that i said that she had but to try me in some venture where my rough unruly strength might tell and she should see so peace was made between us and on we went again to note how the crimson buds were setting on the sunny red garden walls to explore her sloping orchards and count the frolic lambs that clustered round the distant folds it was her kingdom and here her knowledge bettered mine this she soon found out and when i showed at fault in the stratagems of husbandry or tripped in politics of herds or flocks she would glance at me through her half-shut lids and demurely ask are you of good learning friend and to that i answered that i had so much as might be picked up in a reasonably long life not scholarly or well polished but sufficient and readily accessible i'm glad of it she said then you can tell the difference between a codling and a pippin nay i fear i cannot oh nor why one hen will lay white eggs and another brown sweet maid my wonder never went as far as that i do greatly doubt you and your wonder what would you do if butter would not come upon the churn-milk faith i would leave it as not worth asking for a poor white laggard-stuff no man should meddle with heigh ho and what is rosemary good for and what rue by heaven i do not know how soon mayst wean a february lamb and what wouldst thou wean it on oath i cannot tell nor when to cut meadow-grass or make ketchup nor how to cure bee-stings or where to look for saffron nor when to plant green barley or pull rushes for winter candles not one of these but if you would show me such a tutor such a pupil never would have had whereon the lady burst out laughing oh she said you are shallow and ignorant past all conception and precedent why the rosiest urchin that ever went afield upon a plough-horse has better stock of learning the faith i shall have to put you to school at the very beginning i let the fair maid mock for her gentle raillery was all upon her lips and in her eyes was dawning a light it moved me much to see we wandered away through pleasant copses where the yellow catkins and the red were out upon the hazels and late ivory blackthorn buds like webs of pearls were overhung upon those ebony fingered bushes and fair pale primroses shone in starry carpets under the fresh green canopy of the new-tented woods. And my fair Bess knew where the Mavis built, and when I began to speak warm and close into her ear, she would turn away her head and laugh, and, to change the matter, play traitor to the little birds, and point their mossy home, and make me stoop and peer under the leaves, and in pretty excitement. But was it all absent-mindedly? would lay a hand upon my own and be cheek to cheek to me for a moment, and then, with country pleasure, take the sapphire-shells of future woodland singers in her rosy palm, and count and con them, and post me in the lore of spots and specks and hues and colours, and all the fair, incomprehensible alchemy of nature, then put those tender things back, and lead on again to more. Pleasant is the sunshine in such circumstances, fair elizabeth knew all the flowers by name she knew where the gorgeous celandine like bright blazoned heralds of the spring was flashing down by the stream that ran sparkling through the woods the underglow upon the frail anemone was not fairer than her english skin as she did bind a bunch into her bosom knot she could tell the reasons of affinity tween cuckoo pint and cuckoo and how it was that orchid leaves came spotted and the virtue of the blue-eyed pimpernels and why the gently rasping tongues of the great meadow kine forswore the nodding clumps of buttercup and she liked cowslips and made me pick them ah swarthy strong and sad-eyed me me with the wild alarums of battle still ringing in the ambient country air me to whose eyes the fleecy clouds even as she babbled were full of pictures of purple ambition of red melee of the sweeping yellow war-dust that canopies contending hosts me who heard on every sigh of the valley wind the shouting of princes and paladins the fierce deep cry of captains and the struggling cheer that breaks from swinging ranks fast locked in deadly conflict as the foemen give but nothing she knew of that and would lead from cowslip banks back to coppice and from coppice path to orchard and there mayhap in the eye of the sun secure from interruption we would sit she meetly throned upon the great stem of a fallen apple-tree whose rind was tapestried betimes for that dear country sovereign by green moss and tissued gold and silver lichens and overhead the leaves and at her feet the velvet cushions of the turf and me a mere solitary courtier there a very pleasant wooing and if you call me fickle why should i argue it Think of the vast years that lapsed between my lovings. Think how solitary was the lovely, loveless world I was born into anew each time. Think how I longed to light it with the comradeship that shines in dear eyes and hearts. How I thirsted to prejudice some sweet stranger to my favour amongst all others, and claim again kinship of passion for a moment, with one at least of those dear fickle mocking shadows that glance through this fitful dream of mine besides i was young only some trivial fifteen hundred years or so had gone by since they first swaddled me and dried my mother's tears my limbs were full and round my blood beat thick and fast youth and soldier spirit shone in my undimmed eyes not a strand of silver glanced in that beard i peeked so carefully and if my mind was full of ancient fancies ah crowded with the dust and glitter of bygone ages fuller than yonder old fellow's strange museum why my heart was fresh jove i think it was as young as it had ever been and that maid was fair and rosy and kind and tender all in the glow of her hat brim her face shone like the ripe side of a peach her smooth hands hung down convenient to my touch and her head crowned with its sweet crown of sunlit hair was ever bent indulgent to catch my courtier whispers what i argued shall the river play with no more blossoms because last year its envious fingers shook some petals down into its depth must the lonely hill for ever frown in solitude and put by the white mist's clinging arms because forsooth some other earlier cloud once harboured on its rugged bosom twas miserly and monstrous said my youthfulness so nothing forgetting and nothing diminishing of those memories that i had i plunged into the new and that kind country girl played phyllis to my new-tried corydon as prettily as any one could wish i will not weary you with all we did or said the murmur of a summer brook is only good to go to sleep by but picture us immersed in solitary conclave or wandering about in the sweet green math of april meadows and finding the long days some six hours all too short to say the nothing that we had to do suppose this written and i turn to other scenes which perhaps shall amuse you better it by no means followed that because mistress elizabeth proved so charming her father was neglected that old fellow had taken me for his helper had fed and harboured me and something seemed owing him in return His huge and bulky engine was growing apace, indeed, it was just upon the finishing. It was that my strong arms might second him in some final parts he had brought me hither, and, being by nature something of a smith, I helped him readily. Each day was spent in the sunshine and flowers. Then, when evening came and my fair playmate was gone to bed, I descended into old Faulkner's crypt and adding one more character to the many already played, turned Vulcan. Hard and long we worked. Had you looked upon us, you would have seen, by the sullen furnace-glow, two men, bare-armed and leather-aproned, toiling in that black gallery, until the sweat ran trickling from them, forging riveting and hammering bars of iron, plying the creaking bellows until the white heart of the fire-heap was whiter than a glow-worm lamp hurrying here and there about that glistening mountain of cunning fashioned steel that they were building filling their grimy den with flying dust and smoke and sparks and thus working on and on through the long midnight hours as though their very lives depended on it until the black curtain of the night outside faded to pallid blue and the chirrup of the homing bats coming to sleep upon the rafters sounded pleasantly and the furnace gave out and tired muscles flagged and the night's work was over with the night evening after evening we toiled upon the iron giant that was to do such wondrous things old faulkner directing and i supplying with my thews and sinews the help he needed then one day it was finished finished in every point and part complete gigantic wonderful i do confess something of the old man's spirit entered into me when our work was thus accomplished i stood minute by minute before it overcome with an awe and wonder inexplicable and if the prentice felt like that the master was mad with expectation and delight nothing now would do but he must try it and the next night we did so we sent the household early to their rest and as soon as it was dark i carrying a spluttering torch and faulkner the great cellar key stole like thieves across the cobbled courtyard to our workshop the scholar's fingers trembled till he scarce could fit the key into the wards but presently the door was opened and we entered no strangers trespass here to-night the old man chuckled while he closed and double-locked the iron-studded door and put the key into his belt and the torch into a socket. Well, all agog with excitement, we lit the fires in the iron stomach of that finished monster. We filled his gullet with kegs of water, slewed his guiding wheels round, laid heavy sloping oaken planks for His Highness to leave his birthplace by, set back the litter, and lastly turned the tap that brought the fire and water together and put the blood of that iron beast in motion he came down from off the pedestal for all the world like some black gorgon issuing from a den resplendent in weight and strength he came sliding down from off the platform of his cradle and amid the crash of struts and stays amid flying splinters and the dust of transit rolled out majestic into the red furnace light where trembling in every fibre and gently swaying like a young giant feeling his strength for the first time with the strong breath within murmuring, and the great steel heart pulsating audibly. Our iron toy was born and launched, and came forth, magnificent, huge, overpowering, then, checked by its anchor-chains, swerving round to face the farther end, and halted. Old Faulkner was possessed with joy, dancing and capering round that huge carcass, as though he were a ten-years urchin, his white beard all a-stream, his elfin locks shaggy on his head, his black venerable robes flapping like the wings of a great bat, his hands clasped fervidly as he leapt and skipped with pleasure, and his lips moving rapidly as he babbled incoherent adulation and love upon that firstling of his hopes. Even I, grave and thoughtful, was elated, and walked round and round the wondrous thing, patting its iron sides as one might a charger's just led from a stall while half in wonder and half in pleasure catching a fraction of the old man's fancies so far everything had happened as we wished for and faulkner when he could get his breath burst out in wild rhapsodies of all his bantling should do and i put in a sentence here and there amid his peans, and then he capped on a hope and i again a fancy and so nodding and laughing to each other we banded words across that carcass for twenty minutes and felt its sinews and marvelled at its tractableness and grace and what was our sweet cheops doing all that while oh we were young in mechanics and all the time we talked and capered the glowing fires were working in that body and presently the wheels began to ramble and the bars to move strange dull thunder came fitfully from under those steel ribs and quaint unaccountable knocking sounded deep within the furnace glowed white and hot as angry jets of steam commenced to spit from every weak point in the monster's harness all this i noticed and pointed out to the master but he was stupid with gratification in that moment of consummated labour and now our vast machine began to fret it was impatient i saw with a presage of coming evil and the great circles above began to grit their iron teeth and spin like distaff wheels under a busy housewife's hand the pistons were shooting to and fro faster and ever faster while that fifty tons of metal glowing hot now began to yank hungrily upon its chains and start forward a foot and then come back and sniff and snort and tremble and strain in every part and thunder and pant as the hot life surged stronger and stronger into its veins until it was rocking like a skiff at anchor and bellowing like a bull in agony by every saint old adam faulkner i shouted through the gathering roar by every saint in paradise have a care for this frightful beast of thine and i think he saw at last our danger for the hundredth rhapsody died unfinished upon his lips and, Dropping from the clouds at once with an anxious look, he scanned the now flying wonders of his offspring, and then ran round and seized the handle, which should have shut off the red-hot vapour, which was the breath and being of the puissant thing he had conjured into being. Twice and thrice he bore upon that handle, then turned to me with a wild and frightened look. T'was as hot as hot could be, and could not move an inch. Hardly had I read that in his face, when with an angry plunge the engine started forward and the philosopher missed his footing rolling over headlong to the ground at my feet and now our beast was mad with waiting and stronger than fifty elephants and fiercer than the netted lion the chains that held him upon either side were as thick as a man's arm being fastened to mighty staples in the forge our swaddling came back two yards upon those chains then started forward and was brought up all on a sudden with such a jerk as made the ground tremble and filled us with a sickly dread back came our splendid plaything again in no good mood and then forward once more putting his mighty shoulders against his bonds until the great steel chains stretched and groaned beneath the strain and adam Faulkner yelled in fear the third time the monster did this the staples gave And all the forge fell into one dusty smoking ruin while the great engine twirled up those heavy chains upon its thundering axles and laughing in savage joyfulness recognized the fatal fact that it was free then began a wild scene of chaos which brings the dampness of fear and exertion on my forehead even to remember what mattered chains or bars or fetters to that splendid life that we could hear humming there, under those iron ribs, to that unruly devil heart which knew its strength and thundered in proud tumultuous rhythm to the consciousness. The wonderful new titan was born, and there, in his own den, in the black cradle of his nativity, would brook no master. He was born for strength and might, and, hoth, they were running hot within him, and we could but cower in the shadows waiting and watching and now that hideous monster being free to do what he listed set off for the far end of the stony cellar and like a great black ship floundering in a chopping sea went plunging and reeling over the uneven floor we held our breath what would he do when he reached the end and in a minute he was there and through the gloom we heard him crash into the rocky walls and recoil then with a scream like an angry devil baby charged the native masonry again and again. But Faulkner's wretched cunning had put the guiding wheels on pivots, and now they slewed, and here he was, coming down the walls towards us. We did not stop or wait to parley. We ran and dodged behind the pillars, whence we heard him thud into the broken forge. Aye, through the reek and cloudy steam we caught the sound of that fifty tons of metal clambering over the fallen masonry all the time screeching in his anger like a peevish fury at being so thwarted then back we dodged again and the huge thing went lumbering by us full of a horrid giant life no valour availed against no mortal hands could shackle the more he beat about the bounds of that narrow infernal kingdom the less our cyclops seemed to like it his rage mounted at each turn he made and found his prison cell so narrow and every rebuff swelled his budding collar. Therefore, seeing how hopeless it was to strive to tame him in this present mood, I waited till Cyclops was exploring at the bottom of the hall. Then, plunging through the dusty turmoil, found old Faulkner. That grey inventor was reeling like a drunken man, and witless with terror. "'The key! the key!' I shouted in his ear. "'To the door! We can do no good here!' let your infernal beast burn out some of his accursed spleen then we'll make a shift to tame him but tis no good now hear how he thunders and see he's coming back again ay the door good friend the door gasped faulkner and clinging to my arm hotly pursued by the monster behind whose red-hot madness now seemed tinged with cruel purpose we fled down the long black cavern to the iron-studded postern there was not a second to spare the old man plunged his trembling hands into his belt and felt all round it then turned to me with a horrid stare in his eyes and a sickly smile upon his thin white lips the key was gone i dragged that old man back just as the great engine ramping hot lurched down and cut a long smoking groove half a foot deep from the rocky wall whereby we had been standing then disappointed of us went howling on into the blackness and now there was nothing to do but to stay and fight it out no exit for us and none for our sweet bantling and he seemed to know it round and round he drove us through the flickering gloom and shadows of that dismal cockpit till the gushing sweat ran from us and our choking breath came short and panting through our parching throats oh it was a sight to see that shrieking monster spurting steam at every joint and howling like a pack of winter wolves come careering through the darkness at us with every plate of his mighty harness quivering with the force within and all his thundering vitals glowing white and spawning golden trails of molten embers as he lurched along down i would see him come perhaps hunting something in a savage mood and as I dodged behind a pillar and looked, out of the vortex of the shadows would leap old Adam Faulkner, as a leveret leaps from the ferns under a lurcher's nose, and, with ashy wild face and flying wizard locks and ragged sorrel cloak flapping in shreds behind him, the master would flash in frenzied fear across the glow that shimmered from the heart of his young titan, and then be swallowed up again by the next friendly blackness, and i scarce dare breathe as with a hideous parody of vindictive cunning that great thing would swirl and swerve and be after him again it was a wild wonderful game and the longer it went the hotter it grew closer denser and blacker grew the gloom of that place until at length you could not see an arm stretch ahead of you in the sulphurous reek a hot steamy pall of dismal vapour through which glimmered redly now and then the ashes of the overturned furnace-place, and the rosin-dripping splutter of the feeble torch which we had put into the socket by the door. Ah! that was all we had to light us as we crawled and leapt and dodged before the vengeful fury of that screaming harpy of ours, all but his own red copper glow that flamed now here, now there, on the black horizon of our den. Darker and still darker, and hotter became the air, until at last in half an hour perhaps the torch and the furnace ashes were sickly stars too pallid to light our merriment to any purpose and even the glow of faulconer's great invention was a red-hot haze only illumining the seething dust and smoke a yard or two about it and everywhere else reigned black choking stygian infernal darkness a blank midnight void hung about the arena where we danced to that great being sprung like a black minerva from my master's over-fertile brain yet jove twas midnight dark but there was no midnight stillness in it the very air seemed palpitating to the thunderous beat of that beast's mighty life every hollow cavern niche in our rocky walls bellowed into our startled ears a hideous mockery of his screeching while the ceaseless roar of his cruel stride rattled down the ragged juts of our stony roof like dislocated thunder and in that darkness and ear-splitting din we dodged and dipped and scuttled like two-cornered rats i have been brave by this time i hope you will know it but what was mortal strength or valour against the strength and recklessness of that iron god no he had the upper hand and screamed for blood like the devil that he was pressing us with such fury that my very soul seemed oozing through my sweating skin as for dignity gods i had none at one moment i and faulkener would be struggling for a narrow passage like two hoggets in a meadow gate then i was anon crawling on hands and satin knees through pools half a foot deep with filthy furnace water or straddling greasy heaps of brash and ashes with the beast close behind to fire my flagging spirits spurting flame and scalding steam and crunching with his ponderous weight through the iron litter of the den as though it were an august stubble and this was not all being so dark as i have said presently that iron monster inspirited with the soul of a fury found it more and more difficult to follow us and went reeling and bellowing through the steamy blackness ever more at random thereon he stopped to spell and seemed to listen and though we could only tell his whereabouts by the great fiery nebulae of his glowing sides we could plainly hear his thousand steel teeth champing and the gush of the boiling force flying within him we held our breath and then we heard something change in the machinery some pin or rivet fail and the next minute faulkner's baby was off again with a scream like a lost spirit and possessed of a cursed brand-new idea i have said the chains wherewith he had been held to the forge were fastened to great revolving bars upon his side when he burst free he had torn these from the solid masonry and wound them up upon the spinning axles whereto by some misguided cunning faulkner had welded them and now that devil was ramping round to find us in the void and had unwound those hideous flails and with infernal patience was beating down one wall and up the other. Oh, it was sickly to hear the screech of those steel whips sweeping unseen through the startled air, to hear them thud upon the trembling ground and cut deep furrows in it at every savage lash. Now here, now there, flogging the frightened shadows and scourging the trembling rocks and whistling overhead like a thousand winged snakes and all for us while that great babe of my master's hunted slowly round about our narrow prison, and thundered and howled and rattled like a tempest in a mountain-pass, and as though he were some great monster in a deep-sea cave, shot out and drew in those humming tentacles, and tried each nook and corner, and squirted stream and fire into every crevice, and plied his cruel whips madly about in that darkness, till twas all like pandemonium, well i will say no more or you may think i wrap sober fact in that mantle of fancy which the gods have lent me we had dodged and ducked at this game for many minutes when faulkener's mind gave way i chanced upon him in the middle space laughing and screaming and taking off his cloak and vest he saw me stalk from the shadows and with a frightful grin and caper shouted that he knew what was the matter his pretty firstling needed a bloody sacrifice, and who could provide it better than himself? Just then, the engine turned and came looming through the mist towards us, and the old enthusiast made ready to cast himself under those mighty wheels. "'Come back!' I shouted. "'Come back!' but Faulkner yelled, "'Touch me at your peril! That sweet one must not be balked!' and made towards it. I seized him by the arm and dragged him to one side, whereat, without further parley, like a furious wildcat, he turned, and in a twinkling had me by the throat, with those old talons of his, deep buried in my gullet, and his long lean legs twirled round mine, like thongs of leather, and his mad eyes flashing, his white face lit up with maniac passion. And so we heaved and struggled, then down upon our knees, and over and over upon the floor, the old man striving all he knew to kill me, while I, for my part, heaved and wrenched, all my splendid strength cramped up in the wild grip of that sinewy old recluse, and over us, as we fought upon the earth, was glimmering in a minute the red copper glow, the towering form, and the cruel shrieking flails of that exulting demon we had invented. We rolled and plunged in the dust, just where that circle of red light fell on it, while guttural sobs and sighs came from us as forgetful of all else now one was on top in that ruddy arena and then the other the veins were big upon my forehead i felt faint and sick i could not loosen faulkner's iron fingers deep bedded in my neck and did not care and that grim old fellow had no desire now but to watch me die i saw the glowing haze wherein we fought and dimly understood it I heard, faintly and more faintly, the rattle of the chains, and the thunderous black laughter of our plaything, and then, just as that glowing fury seemed drawing itself together for one final effort, which should crush us both from all form and shape, that very effort put something out of gear. The tangled wheels fell into the deadlock all on a sudden. The heavy chains jerked wildly in their swing and twisted together, the mighty rods and pistons went all a-splay like a handful of broken straws the great beast trembled and reeled and shook and then split open from end to end and with a thunderous roar that shook our cellar to its deepest foundations amid a wild gust of flame and steam blew up i rose unhurt from the dust and ashes and unwinding faulkner's lifeless limbs from about me found a hammer by the forge and scrambling over the now pulseless remnants of the giant burst open the door and a few minutes later laid the great inventor's body down upon a bench in the peaceful moonlit courtyard chapter twenty two